Loving God, we thank you for the privilege of studying that word. And we pray for your spirit to guide and give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what I'm going to be dealing with you uh, this, this afternoon is again trace uh, a particular doctrine that has to do with the church. Uh, the reason for that is that there seems to be a lot of uh, debate again about whether it's a bodily church or the spiritual church that goes through. Have you heard that argument recently? Yes, no? The argument is that uh, Mrs. White makes a statement that the church will appear as it has fallen, but it goes through. Right? And what people are arguing is, well, it's not the visible, literal church that goes through. It's those who are spiritual that go through. All right? However, that is not supported by the statement, because the statement simply says, the church appears as it has fallen, but it does not. It remains. It what? Remains. It remains. So if something appears, is that the reality? No. No, it's only the appearance, not the reality. So the time will come where the church will appear as it has fallen, but it says it does not. It remains while sinners in Zion are sifted out. While what? Sinners and sires lifted out. So God's church will go through. All right? And what I tell people is this. I fly a lot. I mean, I, I have a million, 500,000 plus miles on United and a million something, 100,000 miles on Delta. So I have flown enough to go to the moon and come back several times. You should upgrade. What's that? You should upgrade. <laughs> So the, uh, uh, the interesting thing is about flying is that sometimes you get into something called turbulence. Is that true? Yeah. How many of you have, have ever been in turbulence? <laughs> okay. I, I remember one time we were flying, and all of a sudden the plane did this. It dropped. And I remember the gentleman sitting next to me, his face turned to terror. And he held on to that seat. And I was just looking at him, feeling sorry for him because... You hold on to the seat, it's not going to do anything for you. Okay. So, anyway, the pilot comes on and announces. I, was, I just flew from uh, Lusaka, so I had to go to, to uh, Ethiopia, and then from Ethiopia over, over to Dulles. And uh, there were times when we would have this shaking to begin, and the pilot would say, we are having turbulence, open the windows and jump out. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what he would say? No. No. What does he say? Tighten your seatbelt. Do what? Tighten your seatbelt. So when the church goes through turbulence, what do you do? You tighten your seatbelt. You don't jump out because there's no safety outside. The safety is within that which God has ordained. Okay? So, let's consider then the church and whether or not we can trace the church throughout history, right? Does God have a church? We know in the beginning, God started with the church. Now, the church is basically uh, made up of believers. And in the beginning, there were two believers. How many? Two. 
And it's in harmony with what Jesus said, that where there are two or three, there I am in the midst of them. So we know then that there were two, and in Genesis 1 and 2, we know that Adam and Eve were the first believers uh, in recorded history, in biblical recorded history. Now, uh, if anybody has any question about that, because there are people who are saying, well, where did Cain get his wife? Well, it's simple. It says that Eve was the mother of all living. She was the what? Mother of all living. So if she's the mother of all living, then there could not be other people alive. They had to come from Mother Eve. All right? So, uh, in the beginning, as well as a new beginning, you find that God had believers there, and God has believers here. Is that true? Yes, yes or no? Yes. Uh, here, God uses the term remnant, and I'll explain the term remnant later on. Come right in. So, we find then that God establishes a system uh, that we call faith, right? Now, uh, Adam and Eve then had one faith. How many? One. one faith. There was only one system of unbelief system. There were not two or three or four or five or six. There was only how many? One, one belief system. And that belief system was given to them by whom? By God himself. In the person of who? Of Jesus. Jesus was the one who talked with them and who made them. You're welcome. Enjoy your meal. All right. So then uh, the first division of that faith came between Canaan and Abel. So God started out with one, and now what do you have? Two. You have Cain, who decides that he's going to follow a different uh, direction than what God had given to Adam and Eve. Abel followed the plan of Adam and Eve. Cain decided to go a different direction. And by the way, this is the first record of religious persecution. It began right there by uh, Cain slaughtering Abel for nothing else than religious persuasion. In other words, Abel offered the sacrifice that God had required. Cain offered his own invented way of coming to God. And that was not pleasing. And God said to Cain, uh, you can become the, the leader if you just do what's right. But if you don't do what's right, there's sin that lies at your door. And so rather than following the counsel of God, he decided to get rid of the one who made him look bad, and that was um, Abel. And by the way, um, sometimes people try to intimidate you by saying, uh, do you think you're holier than everybody else? And the answer should be yes. <laughs> The Bible says, be ye holy, for I am holy. Sometimes people try to intimidate Christians and they are you holier. Well, you should say, I should be holier. My walk with God leads me to holiness. And if I am walking with God and you're not, then yes, the answer is, I am holier than you are. But that doesn't mean that I could use my holiness to hold it above you. Okay? There's a difference. Knowing that you are, are a prince 
or a, or a princess doesn't mean that you should display a different character than your heavenly father. Is that true? Okay, so anyway, so you find then that once Abel died, that the, the, the faith that God had given to Adam and Eve was in jeopardy. In what? In jeopardy. Because that faith had its, its uh, potential to survive by those who believed it. So if those who believed were not around, then that faith that God had given would disappear. So it was essential then to keep the faith alive by keeping people alive who were faithful. Is that true? All right, so uh, when Seth was born, and we read this text before, for those of you who were before with us, when Seth was born, then Eve's hope revived and said, God has given me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. And then verse 25, it says that through Seth, man began to call upon the name of the Lord. All right? Now, keep that in mind that what God is dealing with in the scriptures early on is he's dealing with faith or no faith. Okay? That which saves and that which doesn't save. So when you get from there, chapter 4 to chapter 6, uh, we find then that there's an amalgamation. Now that's a big word, but simply it means there's a, a combining together the holy with the unholy. Uh, some people get confused about that text where it says there were giants in those days, yeah. all right? And that uh, some people teach that it was angels that came down and got married with uh, women and uh, that these women then had giant babies, okay? <laughs> However, Jesus himself destroys that concept because Jesus says angels don't get married, period. And in Matthew 24, it says that there were people who were marrying and given in marriage and the flood came and took them all away. So who was getting married and given in marriage? It was not angels, it was people. So uh, Mrs. White makes a clear statement about the sons of God and the daughters of men. She said very plainly, that the sons of God are the descendants of Seth. The descendants of what? Seth. Seth. And the daughters of men were the descendants of Cain. And it's clear then that the Sethites lived in the country while the Canaanites were building cities. But then it says that somehow the sons of God came down and saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and uh, they began to join together and rather than diminishing the evil that was taking place by the righteous getting married with the unrighteous, the opposite happened. The unrighteous began to water down the righteous. And by the way, that is why in, in Corinthians, Paul warned, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Because uh, it says that you may be the sons of God if you don't blend yourself with others. Okay? So the sons of God... Jesus himself said in Matthew, in, in, in the book of John, by the way, it says then that you can become the sons of God if you believe, correct? So the, the idea of the sons of God has to do with people who believe the genuine faith that God gave them to begin with. 
The idea of the daughters of men simply has to do with the Canaanites. And by joining together, the amalgamation caused the decline of the church of God to the point of almost extinction. And if you, if you don't understand what's happening, in reality what's taking place is this. The enemy was trying to destroy that which would bring salvation to mankind, and that's the faith that God had given through Adam, okay? And so, since he could not destroy the faith, because there were people who were believers of the faith, he began to somehow affect the faithful, and that effect began to decline the number of righteous who were living on the earth, and it left only eight. Now, if you remember when, at, when uh, Abraham was asking the Lord about Sodom and Gomorrah, he started with what number? 50. And he ended up with what number? 10. Why 10? Because 10 is the minimum of righteous. A synagogue, you cannot worship in a synagogue if you don't have 10 men or more. You can have a building there, but you cannot use it if you do not have minin. And that minin is the word that you find written on the wall. Mini, mini, take your sarsen. Meaning simply means number or ten. And so the number ten then was essential for the survival of the human race. When it got below ten, the human race was almost at the verge of extinction because if there were no righteous on the earth, God would have to destroy the planet. And Satan then would have won and said, you see, no one would follow God. So it was extremely essential for the genuine faith to be kept alive. In order to be kept alive, it, God then, to preserve the human race, had to destroy everything that had been defiled and with only eight begin by replanting the, the human seed on the earth so that it could replenish and fulfill the earth. So the wicked in this earth today hold their, their gratitude or should have their gratitude to the righteous because without the righteous on the earth, the earth will be destroyed. And by the way, that is why the final destruction takes place. Because all the righteous will be taken off the earth and the earth will be destroyed. So the, the faith that you folk have is essential for the survival of the human race. Not getting in a spaceship and trying to fly to another planet. Okay? All right? Huh? What about Noah? That's who I'm talking about. God through Noah then. Through who? Enoch and Noah were faithful to God. Okay. So through Noah and his wife and three children and their wives, God was able to replant the, the human seed back on the earth and start all over again. So God starts with Noah. But the enemy was successful again in infiltrating the, the seed and begin to create hybrids. And so the hybrids were, of course, the sons of Ham. The who? The sons of Ham. The Hamnites then began to foster a different faith than what God had given. 
to the human race. So now you have, again, a division of the original faith. You can see what happened. Adam offered sacrifices, the kids offered sacrifices, right? Then when Noah was on the other side of the flood, Noah also offered sacrifices like Adam had offered sacrifices. A continuation of the faith that had been given to mankind in the beginning. However, it got distorted, and, as, and because it got distorted, uh, God had to do something. And in order to preserve the human race, God then selected uh, a group of people who he could save. So in the days of Noah, there was only how many arks? You could have argued. You could have said, I don't need to get into your smelly ark. I could make my own ark. Well, I don't believe what you believe, Noah. Do you think you're the only holy one on the earth? You think there's only one way to get to heaven? Have you heard those uh, arguments? Okay, they're not new. All right. So, the sad thing is that if you were outside the ark, you were lost. The only way to be saved was inside. You had to accept the faith that saved. The what? Faith that saved. Nothing else could save you. It was a faith that God gave the, his children that brings salvation. Does that make sense to you? All right. Then as we continue then, after the flood, the faith was kept alive by Noah and his two boys, Shem and Japheth. And so they kept the faith alive. And through their, through their children then, uh, we find that the faith continues. And you, finally you come up to a guy named uh, Abraham. But before that, you had the division of the faith. You had the Tower of Babel, uh, which Ham established. And so the Tower of Babel with Nimrod and uh, coming up with a different way to be saved other than the way that God had devised did not work. God then confused them and they then were scattered, but they got scattered and, and scattered their falsehoods. At the same time, there were those who were faithful to God. And so, in the midst of all that, the establishment of the Tower of Babel, etc., and different ideas of faith, God calls Abraham to keep the faith alive. Okay. Now, it's interesting then that Abraham is called a Hebrew. He's called a what? Hebrew. A Hebrew. He's the first one to be called a Hebrew in the Bible. And the scripture says then that Abraham left where he was and went to find a place that God had told him to go where he could worship God and serve God. So Abraham did that. And so Abraham had faith and what else? In obedience. In other words, there are two qualities that are quite prominent among those who have the genuine faith. That is trust in God and obedience in God. Which one? In some places, the word faith is interchanged with trust in God. Because if you have trust in God, you have faith in God. If you don't have faith in God, you don't have trust in God. Is that true? Yeah. All right. So, and in Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 10 reveals that, that faith and trust are interchangeable. In other words, if a woman says, I don't have any faith in my husband, what does she mean? I don't trust him. I don't trust him. Okay. 
And if you are going to trust somebody, can you trust somebody without knowing them? No. So in order to trust God, you have to know God. You don't know God, you don't trust Him. And when people say, I don't have any faith in God, what are they really saying? I don't know God. Okay. They're simply just admitting something that they don't realize they're admitting. I don't know God, therefore I don't trust God, I don't, I don't believe in God. Okay. So those two qualities, what is it? Faith and obedience. obedience. Okay. Faith in the sense of trust, because the word faith also can mean the collective uh, teachings of a particular persuasion, right? For example, you can be a Baptist you can, of the Baptist faith, or you can be of the Jewish faith, or you can be of the Pentecostal faith. Do uh, you understand what I'm saying? But in this particular sense, we're talking about genuine trust in God and the result is obeying Him. Those two qualities. Later on, we find in uh, Genesis 26 and verse 5, that that obedience had to do with the commandments. With what? Uh, just turn to that, Genesis 26, verse 5, and see what it says. Genesis 26, verse 5. Notice that it says, and Abraham did what? Somebody read it for me. Genesis 26, Abraham and verse 5. My voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Okay, so Abraham kept my... Commandments, my statutes, and my laws, okay? And you and I know that at this particular junction, there was no mention of, of, of commandments. There was no mention of what? Of commandments. I'll call you back, Phil. I'm doing a seminar. Thanks. Isn't that nice to know who's calling you? All right. So, you see then that that God says that Abraham was a faithful man and he demonstrates his faithfulness by obeying what? Commandments, the? Statutes and the? Laws, okay? And those had not yet been written, which means then that, as we studied yesterday, that it was all passed by word of mouth, from children to children to children. And sometimes people say, well, the, the commandments did not come until Moses. Well, it's because they don't understand the language of the Bible. Uh, many times God doesn't have to use the word commandment. All he has to use is the word obey. Obey is not something in the vacuum. Obey is something that has to come from something that you do right to obey. Correct? For example, you think of Adam and Eve. When Eve was tempted, how many commandments did she break? How do we know all of them? If you read very carefully, you'll see then that it says that she saw the fruit that it was, it was worthy to be coveted, right? What's the commandment say? Thou shalt not covet. Uh, it also says that thou shalt not steal. Who did the fruit belong to, she or God? God. So when, when she took something that belonged to her, she was stealing. Did she obey her father? No. no. Her father said, don't go to the tree. What did Eve do? She went to the tree. So did she honor her father? No. no. If you go down through the, the, what happened with Eve, you'll see then that Eve uh, misrepresented God, disobeyed God, broke the commandments of God. And that's why it says here, you break one, you break how many? All. Break them all. Okay. Now, uh, God's truth carriers then, people who are loyal to God, 
were alive through the ages. So you find, for example, from Adam, you go to, to Seth. From Seth, you go to Enoch. Enoch, Methuselah. Methuselah to Noah. And then from Noah, you again begin to see a line, a chain of those who were faithful to God who came from Abraham. So you have uh, Isaac, and you have Jacob, and then you have the 12 tribes, or the 12 children of Jacob, who started out as scoundrels, but finally ended up to be converted. Okay? So the boys of Jacob, you know, sometimes people speak about PKs. You know what a PK is, right? Okay, preacher's kids. And sometimes they think, well, the preacher's kids should be the best. But in the Bible, sometimes the preacher's kids were the worst. Were the what? Worst. So was the case with Jacob. But through time then, and the prayer of that man, and the working of the Spirit of God, all those boys became converted. Okay, so, uh, but they were truth carriers. What were they? Truth carriers. Just like today, we carry something. We may carry tuberculosis, right? We're carriers of diseases. That's why we're supposed to wash our hands when we have a cold, right? So we won't spread that. But uh, God also had throughout the history those who were truth carriers. And by the way, those were finally called remnant. Now, I, I have to share something with you about that word remnant that I, I uh, have to clarify. The word remnant, usually, the illustration used is a piece of a rug. You know, they lay the rug and then they have a pieces left and those are remnant. Well, that's almost like something left over, you understand? But the word remnant is different than something being left over. The word remnant has to do with something pre-selected. Something that was elected by God. So rather than being just something that's left over, in reality it's something that has been chosen by God. Been what? Chosen, chosen by God. So if you end up to be a remnant, it's not that you were just a piece of rug left over. If you end up as a remnant, that means that God has chosen you to represent him. Okay? Now, let's continue on through this. So from Adam then, uh, you go to Noah, and from Noah, Abraham, and then from Abraham, you go to Moses, and of course from Moses, you have the church in the wilderness. In the book of Acts chapter 7, verse 38, it actually uses the word church in the wilderness. So God now does not have one person who's faithful, but God has 12, and then from the 12 he has what? He has a nation, millions of people who are faithful. And please remember this, that the, that the role that these people always played was to keep the genuine faith alive. What was the role? Keep the genuine faith alive. Because it is a genuine faith that gives salvation. It is what? The genuine faith that gives salvation. All right? So, if you get the genuine stuff, then you can have salvation. If you don't get the genuine stuff, then you have confusion. So, the church in the wilderness. Now, it's interesting, once again, that if, like in the days of Noah, you got in the ark, you find salvation. If you didn't get in the ark, you were lost. Okay? It didn't matter how, how virtuous you were about your ideas and your philosophy. and It didn't matter. God made one channel of salvation. And if you wanted salvation, you accepted his provisions. 
You didn't argue with God. You said thank you. And so that you understand this, because this earth has rebelled against God, God has put this earth in a quarantine. You know what? Quarantine. quarantine. We are quarantined from uh, the rest of the universe because of the fear that our deadly disease will spread through the universe. So in order for this disease to be stopped here, God provided an antibiotic in the person of his son. And the antibiotic had to be put in where the disease was. You hear what I'm saying? All right? The medicine will do no good if it doesn't get inside of you to deal with that which is inside of you trying to destroy you. So God had to create an antibiotic to put into this area that was quarantined with the hopes that through the antibiotic, those inside would be receiving that which, which heals and ultimately saves. So God wants to destroy the sin, but save the sinner. Hallelujah. What do you say? Amen. All right. So as uh, that church, there was only one way to be saved, and that was to join the church. For example, in Jericho. We know in Jericho that God said destroy the city. However, in Jericho, there was a young woman called what? Rahab. Rahab. And what was her occupation? Or uh, maybe a preoccupation. She was a prostitute, correct? Probably a young, beautiful prostitute. Because in those days, as it is in many countries still today, the parents will encourage their daughters to prostitute themselves so they can make money for the family. And so poor Rahab was a victim of circumstances, but obviously in spite of her condition and circumstances, Rahab had something within her that longed for something better. And when she heard about the faith of the Jews, she recognized in them that this was the way of salvation. And she cast her lot with the people of God. And because she did, she became the evangelist for her family. The Bible says that when Jericho was destroyed, the only part of the wall that did not fall was where Rahab was. It says that the Jews went in up into the wall and brought out from the apartment where Rahab was staying at. All her father, her mother, her brethren, her nieces, her uncles, were all the family were saved. So, they found salvation. Yes, sir? All right, just put him there and when I'm finished, because i got to finish at uh, 3 o'clock and only 2.30. All right. Thank you. Gracias. All right. All right, do you understand that? So, it wasn't that God wanted to destroy the people, God wanted to save the people. But there had to be a choice. And those people in Jericho chose to stay in the path that they were following. But Rahab, though she was a prostitute, chose to turn her life to the Lord. And because she did, God saved her and all of her family. Wonderful. What do you say? So, was, was there a church in the wilderness? Yes. Did you have to belong to it? Yes. If you wanted salvation, you belonged to it. If you didn't want salvation, it didn't matter. And so the people who didn't accept the provisions of God were lost. The people who did accept the provision of God were saved. But they had to be part of the church. Okay. Again, remember that in these days, there are all sorts of religions. 
All sorts of gods that they had already invented and worshipped and all that. So people could have said, my faith is better than yours. But obviously, according to the scriptures, God has a plan by which he wants to save men. That's why Jesus said, straight is the road and narrow is the way that leads to what? To life. And few there be that find it, which means then that is findable. Is what? It's findable. If those who want salvation are willing to put themselves to find it. Otherwise, if you don't find that one, you automatically, by default, fall into the other channel. And I don't know about you, but I want to be on the right channel. All right? So, here you have then uh, people who remain faithful to God in spite of the fact that, again, the enemy began to affect the truth say. You see, the purpose why God put Israel in the Holy Land, uh, here's a map over here of the, that part of the world. And in those days, most of the people lived in this part of the world, okay? And what they did was they began to extend. So they began in a place called uh, Jerusalem, okay? Here's Israel, see that? So in essence, what God did is that he put his faith in the middle of the world. Where? Yeah. The middle of the world. So that those from the north who wanted to go to the south had to go through where? Israel. Through Israel. And those from the south who wanted to go to the north went through where? The reason why God put them there was because God intended that the world could find salvation through his people. Unfortunately, the Jews began to think that they were the only ones who could be saved. Correct? So they began to keep it to themselves. And I remember uh, as a little boy going to synagogue, but they thought I was a Gentile. Thought I was what? A Gentile. The reason why they thought I was a Gentile is because I was born a Puerto Rican. And the, most of the Jews in New York City were the Ashkenaz. Where were they? Ashkenaz. Which means they came from Germany and Poland and all that. Well, most of those Jews were not acquainted with the reality that there are more Jews in Europe than they were over there. And that was in Spain. In where? In Spain. So the majority of the Jews were not in Europe. They were in Spain. And so they were called Sephardic. What were they called? Sephardic. Yes, sir. What's that? They were also in Africa, the middle of Africa. Well, yeah, they were in the Africa. But, that, but these, these particular people, the Jews, for example, went to Africa as things began to deteriorate in, uh, in Israel. In other words, at one point, they tried to settle around Israel. But when Israel was unfaithful and the attacks began to come, Many again began to flee down to Africa and also to Spain, all right? Now, here's what's interesting. Finally, what happened was that, that the devil wanted to get rid of all the Jews from Spain. So what he did was he began to, to persecute the Jews. So then they fled to? To where? Well, they went to Africa, but they also went where? To America. To where? To America. So they went first to a place called Cuba, where Columbus went, and then Puerto Rico, and then Dominican Republic, and then uh, Jamaica, and all that. But, but uh, they began to spread down to Brazil. 
So today there are about 3 million uh, Jews in Brazil who actually are of of Jewish descent, but they did not know that until recently. That's right, they came out of Africa, that's correct. The Portuguese then were responsible for bringing a lot of those slaves. That's correct, there was a slave trade. There was, it was a terrible dispersion that took place, okay? And what I'm saying is that God had put them in the middle of the world, the Jews, so that they could be a salvation to the whole world. But because of their unfaithfulness, God spread them all over the world. So the, the faith then got kind of uh, sprinkled everywhere. All right? And now it depends upon people like Daniel. Even though he was sent to Babylon, he was still faithful. Correct? And so we find then that the devil through Babylon tried to do what? Swallow up the people of God. Why was this constantly done? Because it was not about Jews. It was about salvation. It's about what? Salvation. salvation. If the devil could destroy those who had the genuine faith, then the genuine faith would disappear off the face of the earth. And man would be only led to, to follow dictators or worship statues and, and uh, stone and wood and so forth. So... The Israelite faith then divides between Judah and Israel. Israel goes into apostasy and then finally Judah. Only a remnant began to be what? Faithful. And that remnant were people who chose to be faithful in spite of what was going on. They knew that God was the only way to find salvation and they trusted in God irrespective. And that's why the three boys said to, to King Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to do anything you want to us. But being known unto you, that we will not bow down to your God. And if God be with us, he will deliver us. If not, so be it. And so the, the issue was salvation. What was it? Salvation. salvation. And those boys decided to be obedient and trust in God. And because God saw that those boys were obedient and had faith and trust in him, God saved them. And as a result of these boys and their faithfulness, many people in Babylon actually became converted. In fact, if you go to the book of Nehemiah and Esther, well, you remember the book of Esther, how uh, Haman wanted to destroy all the people who were Jews, uh, put them to death. What's interesting is that when they fasted and prayed and turned to God, then God delivered them. And it says that the people of the land became Jews. Became what? Became Jews. All right. Now, the word Jew, by the way, you should know, that it actually comes from Judah. From what? Judah. Judah. Um, so the word Jew did not exist before there was a Judah. Okay. So originally all were called Hebrews. What were they called? Hebrews. Hebrews. And even in Egypt when they were slaves, they were called Hebrews. All right. But the name got changed to Israel through Jacob. So you had Jacob who became Israel. Which means then that when he was converted, he became real. Is real. Before that, he was a fake. That's what his name meant. The man, Jacob's name meant supplanter, one who was who was not genuine. Okay. So when he was converted, Jacob became real. Israel. All right. 
And then all who experience that which Jacob experienced, that is, they have a born-again experience, are then called Israelites. All right? So, the, the, uh, from Adam then to Christ, we have traced the seed carriers. Right? Because the promise was that, and through thy seed. Through what? Thy through seed. thy seed. And Paul says, and that seed was Christ. So the seed was traced all the way from here. And the attempt of the devil was to destroy the seed, but God would not allow that. And that's why in the Bible you find those lists of names, genealogy, that trace the seed all the way back to Adam. So God kept the seed alive, and by keeping the seed alive, he kept the faith alive. And through the faith, many millions, we, we know that in the new earth there will be millions and millions. It says that no man can number. So there's going to be billions of people in the kingdom. All right? So we find then that the faith of Jesus is traced from the beginning. And, but unfortunately, by the time you get to Jesus' time, it had already begun to be what? Contaminated again. And so Jesus came to set the record straight, to put it back on course, to put the genuine faith where it ought to be. It was not about a legalistic idea of keeping certain rules. It was about a heart that wanted to love God with all the heart, all the strength and all the might, and the neighbor of himself. So it was a, an experiential religion, not a legalistic religion. However, as we go then from the time of Christ, we know that the apostolic faith then took hold. And I should explain this to you. The reason that Peter writes, you shall be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, is not to declare that every member was a priest. That's being twisted today. What was happening is that what God had told the Jewish people in the, in the wilderness, you shall be a holy nation and a royal priesthood, simply meant that the people would be holy, but they would be guided by a priesthood directed by God. Unlike the rest of the nations that were directed by kings, God would direct his nation, spiritually speaking, through priests. And we know that to be the case because when God said you're a royal nation and a, and a, a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, there were some men who decided that they were priests just as well as Aaron was a priest. You remember that? Who was them? Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and how many more? And 250 prince. And they all brought the censers. What did they bring? The reason why they brought the censers is because only the priest could offer incense. Only who? And by these men having censors, what were they declaring? I'm a priest also. See? But God said through Moses, not so. Not so. And Moses said to Korah, if you die a normal death, then God has not spoken through me. But if the earth opens up, then you know that God had spoken through me. And the earth did open up. But then after the earth opened up, the 250 who could have repented did not. They were still rebellious. And then fire came and killed them all. And uh, God said to, uh, to Moses, to Aaron, go pick up the census because they dedicated the census to me. And then the people blamed Moses for killing these holy people. You see? And God then... Send a plague throughout the people. They began to die. And God said to Aaron, Aaron, you better go stand between the living and the, and the dead. 
So Aaron took a censer and stood between the people and the plague stopped. And they still believed that everybody was holy, even though God made it plain that there was only one priesthood. How many? One, one priesthood. Okay. So God then said to, to Moses, Moses, get a rod from every tribe. Put the names on them. Put them in the sanctuary. And the next day when the rods were brought out, only one had uh, almonds and butter and all that. And that was a final, final evidence that God only wanted one priesthood made of Levites. Okay. After that, nobody ever dared to argue that God had one priesthood. So when God finally ended that, that time of the priesthood, the sanctuary was brought to an end and all that, then God reestablished the church again and conferred upon the new church the same that he had conferred on the old church. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And Christ is the high priest, exactly. So the blessing of being God's holy people was conferred upon the apostolic church, and being a priesthood simply meant that they would be led again by, quote, priests or pastors, because the word changed from priests to pastors, and so God then conferred upon the apostolic church the same standing that the Old Testament church had with, with God. And that was that it would be God's church. You hear what I'm saying? Have you heard that before? Is it news to you? Well, welcome to the news. Okay. All right. So the apostolic faith then was established. And they had the same chore and by the way, it's interesting that they started in Jerusalem also. Started where? In Jerusalem. They had the same chore as the Jews had before. To bring the gospel to what? To the world. Okay. But was the devil happy with that? So he began to affect the church. And people were baptized who wanted salvation into the church. According to Acts 2 verse 41 and 44. They were added to the church daily such as should be saved. Okay, so then, unfortunately, other gospels began to be in introduced. And other Jesuses began to be preached. And Paul wrote and warned the people. If you read Galatians 1, 6 through 9, you'll see that it says, uh, How can you depart from the faith that was given to you? unto another gospel, which is not a, another gospel. And if anyone come to you preaching in another gospel that you have not heard, let them be a curse. Right? So Paul it was very clear that there was how many gospels? One. Only one gospel. That's why he, in Ephesians, another misunderstanding, he says one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Okay? He's simply stating that there's only one true Lord. There are many lords, but only one true Lord. One true faith. There are many other gospels, but only one true. And one true baptism. Many other modes of baptism, but only one that God had established. Okay? So it had to do with quality rather than quantity. Okay? So, unfortunately, then the remnant faith began to be affected. And uh, persecution came upon the church. And there were people within the church who began to accept other ideas and go back to the Judaism, etc. 
And finally, uh, the devil began to attack the church, and the church went into hiding into the wilderness. And so now you have the Church of Christ, and his faith followed all the way through, all the way up to the time of persecution that began. In 538, the church went into hiding, and the, opposite, the apostate faith then would rule the world. So the devil then established his own faith using Christ. He could not fight against Christ, so what he did, he chose to use Christ as a means to deceive. And that's, that's, that's the unfortunate thing today, is that a lot of people are using the Bible, but with the Bible, they're deceiving a lot of people. The devil knows that there are certain things that God has designed for man's well-being. There are processes in our body that God has designed in order for us to function well and all that. So what the devil has done is he's discovered these processes that the final end would bring good, and he has been able to use the same processes to bring bad. So it's, it's, it's called basically uh, a, a, a deception, but the devil uses the word of God to accomplish that which otherwise would lead to salvation. So the thing that would lead to salvation, the Bible, is being used by many today without understanding what the Bible really means. They have cut off the Old Testament. They follow some books in the New Testament, and they believe that they're following Jesus. Now, you cannot question their sincerity, but sincerity is not salvation. You can be sincerely wrong. Is that true? And so... God gave us the entire Bible. I remember there was a young man in Switzerland who had been studying the scriptures, and finally he decided he wanted to keep the commandments anymore. So he broke loose from the young pastor that was studying with him. When I returned back to Switzerland, the young pastor told me the sad news. Well, he said, how is he doing? No, he I can't find him. He disappeared. He, I can't. I call him. He doesn't answer the phone anymore and all that. He said, well, have you discovered where he lives? Yeah, he lives in a certain little town. I said, well, give me his address. I'll go chase him down. So I went to the door, knocked on the door. His car was parked right outside, so I knew he had to be there. So I knocked on the door, no, no response. I kept on knocking, no response. I kept on knocking, and he realized he better open the door or I'll be knocking there the whole day. So he opened the door, and he said, look, man, I, I, have, I have no time for you. And I said, you have no time for me? I flew all the way from America to here, and then I drove two hours down to your house, and you have no time? Is that Christian? He said, all right, I'll give you two minutes. I said, that's all I need. So I went inside. And he said, look, I just want you to know, I don't believe in the Old Testament. I said, okay, what does Jesus say about people who don't believe in the Old Testament? He said, I don't know. So I turned them to Luke chapter 24. And Jesus said, oh, fools. And slow of heart to believe all that the scriptures have said. And when he read that, I said, so what did Jesus call people who don't believe in the Old Testament? Fools. I said, do you want to be one? No. I said, then I think you better give me more time than two minutes. <laughs> so I spent two hours with him. By the end, we finished. He was a believer in the Old Testament, believing in the whole Bible, and got baptized. But I had to chase the fish all the way down. <laughs> okay. 
So what I'm saying to you is that the Bible is being misused. The same instrument that God gave for salvation because it says that all Scripture is given by and through it you can find salvation. Okay? The devil has used it to the opposite. And today is no different, folk. We as a people have been given gracious light and we need to hang on to the light. Let no man remove the landmarks. What did I say? Let no man remove the landmarks. Those landmarks have been placed there for a purpose. All right, so, for 12, from 538 then A.D. until 1798 A.D., the church was in hiding. The what? Now, what I'm saying by that is that God had believers. He's always had believers. But, but, but at this time, there was only one recognized church in the world. And what church was that? Rome. It was Rome, exactly. And Rome was using the Bible, yes or no? Yeah. Only for its own intent. Whenever it felt it needed to use some passage in the Scriptures, it did so to impress people that it was from the Bible. In reality, for example, it says that it uses the Bible that Peter was the first pope, right? Well, you can't find that in the Bible, can you? So they're saying that Peter was the leader of the church and therefore he, uh, the pope comes from Peter. However, Peter was a married man. So what happened to the Pope? <laughs> and the Bible also reveals it was not Peter who was the leader of the church. If you read carefully in the book of Acts, it was James. It was who? James. It was James, the brother of Jesus, who was the leader of the church. When the disciples came with Paul arguing about whether or not the Gentiles should, should uh, do as the Jews, they came and James listened for all the arguments, and finally he gave his sentence. He gave his what? If you give your sentence, what does that call you? Judge. Calls you the head. Okay. So it was James who was the, the leader of the church, the brother of Jesus. And if you read in Matthew, you'll find that James was a brother of Jesus. So there were several James. But this particular James was the brother of Jesus. And you may ask the question, why did they select James rather than Peter or Paul? Because they still had the mentality that the priesthood had to come through the line of the family. So they didn't give the priesthood to Peter. They gave the priesthood to the brother of Jesus. Okay. Are you following me? All right. So during this time then, there was great upheaval. But there were people who were faithful to God, still reading the Bible, still trying to preach the word. And, uh, but they were, they were very persecuted. And finally, at the end of 1798, the church that had been instigated in propagating falsehood in the name of Christ would be wounded, given enough time for the other church to come back up and get established. So in 1798, the church of Rome received a wound, the pope was captured and put in exile, and the church was basically closed. During that time, it allowed for the Protestant movement to rise up to where it is today, okay? However, what's sad about that is that the devil also took advantage of the Protestant movement. And today, there are 44,000 different denominations. How many? Out of one Bible. So the enemy has used the Bible for, for his own intent. But listen. In spite of that, there are two qualities. The two what? Qualities. Faith of Jesus and 
commandments. So it makes it easy then. I, I once asked some children, I said, if you lose a needle in a haystack, how do you find it? And they didn't know. I said, it's easy. You take a magnet and, you find, and they'll find the needle in a haystack. Take a what? Magnet. magnet. If you try to find it with your eyesight, very, very difficult. Okay. So, who is the magnet? It is Jesus. Okay. Jesus has certain truths that set apart between the false and the true. And those are his commandments. And it's very easy. You know, rather than trying to study all the doctrines of different churches, 44,000 different denominations, I study the Bible. I find out that the Ten Commandments is a very simple acid test. It's a very what? Simple acid Yeah. For example, I know then that if they have statues in their churches, can that be the true church? No. no. I know that if they worship other gods, can that be the true church? No, they have to worship the creator God, correct? I know also that they have to worship on one day, the seventh day of the week, correct? And so I can take all the Christian churches, and if they're worshiping on, not on the seventh day, then without being judgmental, I can just simply say that cannot be the pillar and anchor of the truth. There's something wrong with that. So I, now I have to find a church that keeps the... And that has the faith of Jesus. So the faith of Jesus was the Jewish faith. The what? The Jewish faith. And Jesus simply said to the woman at the well, salvation is of the Jews. Jews. All right? Now, what do I mean by that? And what, is, what did he mean by that? Paul makes it plain that not he that is a Jew in the flesh is a true Jew, but he that is a Jew in the spirit. In the what? Spirit. The spirit. In other words, Jacob became Israel because he was converted. And anybody who becomes converted becomes a, a true Jew. Becomes a what? True Jew. So if you're converted to Christ and you follow his commandments, then you are a spiritual Jew. And you qualify as salvation pertaining to you. So how many of you are Jewish? All of us. If you've accepted faith in Christ and keep his commandments, then you are spiritual Jews. And then you become part of the what? Remnant. You're not just something that cast to the side. You're, you're selected by God to represent him, to give his message to others to find salvation in Christ. So Christ has a church. So now, at the end of time, then, there are two prominent faiths that will be contested. One that keeps the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, and the other one who either trusts in God, but no commandments, or commandments and no trust in God. But you have to have both. It's just like unclean. How do you know something is unclean? By one or two? two. With two. If the animal is unclean, he has to chew the cut and split the hoof. So he has to walk the talk, correct? Yeah? All right. And a fish, how do you know if it's unclean? Fins and scales. Two qualities, right? So how do you know a true Christian? Faith and commandments, okay? Do you understand that? Now, as I said, you don't have to be judgmental. When people say, do you think you're holier? Yes, I am holier, but that's not because I'm somebody special. It's by God's grace. By what? By God's grace. I should be a better person if I'm a Christian. I should be a person that loves more. I should be a person that's more obedient. I should be a person that's... Uh, 
demeanor is, is more gentle as the master. In other words, yes, we are required to do that. All right, so the remnant church then must be hidden from 538 to 798, must arise and do its work after this date, must keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, have the gift of prophecy, must preach the message of revelation, accept Christ as the creator and savior, and must be preaching all over the world. And I'm thankful that the church is, is that way. By the way, huh? Well, here you have it. Just take the whole picture. Okay. So today, folks, does God have a church? Absolutely. And how do we become part of it? By faith. By what? By faith. We accept God's conditions for salvation. And that we believe that God has a remnant people who ultimately will stand to shine in the midst of all the apostasy that's going on. And finally, the clash will take place between truth and error. And the truth will be victorious. And when it's all said and done, I want to be in that boat with my seat tight. Are you coming up to take a picture? Yeah. Well, if you want to take a picture, don't do it from there. Do it from over here. Oh, we haven't had prayer yet. Just, what's that? We haven't had prayer yet. Oh, we haven't had prayer yet. I haven't had prayer yet. But let them take the picture and then uh, we'll have prayer. We'll go ahead because I can't find the camera. All right. Any question, first of all, before I have prayer? Does this help you see from beginning to end that God is consistent with his truth? And I'm so glad that God brought his message of salvation to my family. We were, we were heathen, raw heathen, growing up in the ghettos of New York. My brother, second oldest brother, was the president of the largest Puerto Rican gangs in New York City. My oldest brother was a terrorist. I was a, I was a gang member by the time I was 10 years old. At 12, I was a warlord of, of a gang. We were into all sorts of messes. My mother by herself was raising six of us boys. And my father, who had abandoned the family when I was two, six months old, became converted in Chicago. And because of his conversion, he came back to New York to look us up. And after 10 years of laboring, trying to reach us, because we hated him by that time, he stayed faithful, trying to reach us. And finally, by God's grace, the whole family became Seventh-day Adventist Christians. We were all converted. My cousins, my, my uncle, my aunt, it was like a sweet sweet illness that swept through all of us and by God's grace. And as I said, my dad, who, who was a one of 13 siblings, the only one who accepted the message, and thank God, he outlived all his siblings. He lived to 99 and uh, almost four months shy of being 100 years old. God has been good, and I'm thankful that God has a message. It doesn't make us to rise up in pride as though we have done it but to rise up in glory because God has done it. Amen. God has called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. And I just praise God for it. Let's pray together and then I'll, I'll have you a question, okay? okay? All right, let's have prayer. Loving God, we're so thankful that you have a faith that saves. And we pray that you'll help us not to keep it to ourselves as the Jews did, but help us to share the word and spread it that others may find the joy and salvation that we have found in the hope of eternal life. 
We thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.